Welcome to Talk Angry with Coon and Eldridge. On today's show, we will recap Wichita State's 67-64 loss to Oklahoma State this past weekend. We'll be joined by Shane Dennis, who's been on the call for two out of the first three games for the Shockers. We'll also get you ready for Tuesday's conference opener at Tulsa. Great show coming up right after this. Welcome to the Talk Angry Podcast, your destination for Wichita State Shocker basketball. Join us every episode from the Forge Audio Production Studio as we dive into game recaps, analysis, and interviews. And now, here are your hosts, Dustin Kuhn and Taylor Eldridge. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. 67-64 loss for the Shockers this past Saturday against the Cowboys. Cade Cunningham coming in as one of the top scorers in the country, goes 4 from 11 from the field, scores 10 points, but the last three were pretty darn special uh, there at the end of the game. Taylor, in your article, Kansas.com, you know, for 39 minutes and 40 seconds, maybe 50 seconds, played perfect defense against Cunningham and even still had, you know, some some good opportunities there at the end. Dexter had really good position against Cunningham, and he just goes out and makes a big shot. But you have to think... The team is encouraged by the comeback in the second half and being able to play with an undefeated team in Oklahoma State, but also kicking itself a little bit for a missed opportunity. Yeah, yeah, and that's, uh, I mean, honestly, I mean, that, that contest is about as good as you can get without fouling for a defender in that situation. So, um, you know, the percentages say, you know, with the game tied, you know, a lot of the times, you know, a guy like Cunningham, big body, he's going to try to drive, either get to the foul line or collapse the defense and, you know, try to just bully his way in for a layup. So I thought Dexter did a very good job of, you know, um, you know, walling him off and preventing a drive. And, you know, the percentages say, you know, if you're going to let Cunningham take a game-winning shot, you want him taking a three-pointer with a strong contest. And, you know, that's, that's exactly what uh, Dexter Dennis was able to do. And, you know, that's why Cade Cunningham, that's, you know, as Isaac Brown said, that's why he's the million-dollar man. That's why he's probably the, the going to be the number one pick in the NBA draft next year. And, um, you know, star players, you know, great offense beats great defense every time. So um, that's a tough one for WSU to, to have to swallow. But like you said, I mean, it's a, it's a very encouraging second half. Uh, there were times where WSU – Kind of looked like, you know, they were teetering on the edge of, you know, maybe getting blown out, uh, maybe letting it kind of get out of hand like the Missouri game when they got down by 17. Uh, I thought WSU did a really, you know, I was pretty impressed with them to be able to rally back, especially late and, you know, tie that game back up. And, uh, you know, they had uh, they had a, a chance, you know, in the final two minutes. And uh, that's all you can ask for against, a, you know, a team the caliber of Oklahoma State didn't go their way. But. Uh, now they have that, that experience down the stretch, and uh, you know that's something they can learn from. You know what's interesting to me when you look at the stats from this game. I think the players, and, and in your article you referenced that they really felt encouraged about how they played in the second half. If you look at the stats, they actually shot the ball better, both from a field goal percentage and a three point percentage in the first half. There's a lot of glaring stats from this game, but I think the fact that they were one of fourteen from three, only seven percent in the second half is a big reason why, you know, you look at yourself down three on the scoreboard. So you always break down film and go back and rewatch the game. So maybe give us novices a little better idea. How, how did they shoot the ball better in the first half, but actually play better maybe as a team in the second half? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great question. And I think, uh, you know, the rebounding got a little better in the second half. And, uh, 
And then, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's frustrating because, you know, a lot of those looks, um, are pretty good looks, but you know, when they're missing like that, it's just, it's uh, really tough. And I know some fans are a little frustrated because, you know, Isaac Brown has kind of given the green light for, uh, for them to shoot and transition. That's kind of a, a point of if, emphasis for WSU this year that maybe we didn't see, you know, under, in the, the Greg Marshall era where they want to push and transition and, and try to go against a defense before it gets set. So uh, guys like Tyson Etienne, you know, Alterik, guys like that, they're they're kind of pulling the trigger on on quick threes. And you know, when they go in, you know, it's pretty demoralizing for a defense. But you know, when they they don't go in, that's demoralizing for the offense too. To you know, you just got a defensive stop, and you go down, and you shoot a three in the first five seconds of the shot clock, and you come up empty so you have to play defense again for another 30 seconds so um yeah i mean that's when they're when they're not going in uh it's it's really tough to come back from but uh, yeah i mean i think that wsu's rebounding uh you know joseph Abulau obviously came in the second half and, and gave them a spark you know three offensive rebounds in his six minutes and um so they were able to create some second chances and just dig down and and come through and you know morishu does a you know he's a 48 career 48% career foul shooter goes the line down two with 35 seconds left and comes up clutch. And, you know, I think that's kind of an underrated part of that, that uh, rally was, you know, you as they step into the line and making two straight free throws. And I think fans, you know, if you would have asked them coming into the season, does Morris Udeze make two straight free throws with the game, you know, hanging in the balance like that? You know, a lot of people would have said no, but, you know, that's a credit to Mo and how much time and work he's put into into his game, you know, this off season that to work on that shooting stroke. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I think they just had uh, some play players step up in the second half. Uh, the rebounding improved a little, um, you know, hard to get any worse in the first half. So, uh, and then, you know, they obviously did it without the three point shot. And like you said, at the end of the game, you look at that box score, you know, five for 26 from threes, you know, that's just not going to get it done. The Cowboys had 14 offensive rebounds. They were plus 11 in rebounding overall. What was interesting, this was the first game the Shockers kind of had their full roster available to them. The bench got way outscored. The Cowboys were plus 33 in bench production. They were plus 14 in fast break points. So, like I said, when you look at the box score, this didn't seem as close as a three-point game. Obviously, the Shockers led by, I think, as much as four or six there in the first half. But it's it kind of interesting. And I guess maybe you know, it gives you the, the kind of the positive spin on it is, you know, this was pretty ugly on several different fronts, but here we are right there at the end of the game. You know, Dennis has a shot to, to tie the game. Maybe talk a little bit about what in, went into the execution there and then also on a go-forward basis, kind of how they build off of this. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it was a great defensive effort for WSU. I thought the, the first two games, you know, the defense was, was you know, they had um, – I guess stretches where they were good, but, you know, overall, when you look at just the body of work, you know, they weren't very good compared to, you know, the standard of, you know, excellence that WSU has had under Marshall on the defensive end. And I thought on Saturday, that was a return to form by the Shockers. I did, I went into pretty good detail uh, breaking down exactly how Wichita State's defense was able to slow down, you know, Cade Cunningham, the best any team has been able to do. I mean, he didn't take a shot in the second half until, you know, the final two minutes of the game. And, you know, to, to allow him 10 points on 11 shots to force him into four turnovers, you know, that might be the best uh, defense that anybody plays on him this season. 
And I think uh, kind of like what I said in my story, I think that WSU kind of gave the blueprint for these big 12 teams on how to defend Cunningham. And, and basically it was just, you know, uh, kind of like Giannis in the NBA, you know, WSU kind of formed a wall every time he touched the ball, every time he put the ball on the floor, you know, uh, the guards that weren't guarding him were scraping down and, you know, just uh, scraping at the ball when he dribbled. Uh, guys were, you know, in the corners were coming completely off their man uh, to, to stop him. And, you know, every time he started towards the basket, uh, WSU just jumped to the ball and put, you know, two, three guys, sometimes even four guys uh, in front of him because he's so good when he's able to build that steam uh, heading to the basket because he's such a big body. He's kind of like Ben Simmons in that way, if you want to do an NBA comparison. And, you know, he just gets that big body in motion. It's tough to stop. So WSU did a very, very good job cutting down the space, uh, making it very difficult for him to, to find you know, those avenues to build up steam going to the basket and they turned him into a jump shooter. And, you know, that's not the strongest part of his game, but, you know, obviously he was still able to, you know, come through when it mattered most. Um, you know, he, he had the, the assist on the three-point play uh, uh, to put OSU up three, and then he had the game-winning three-pointer. And, uh, you know, even on that assist, I thought WSU played excellent, or both of those, they played excellent defense. You know, Udeze, arguably was there in time for the charge that that would have been a huge call. Uh, could have given WSU the ball back with the game tied under two minutes left and uh, called in, go their way. And then obviously Dexter with a superb contest on, on Cunningham. And it just uh, was one of those things where he just made an incredible shot. So I think WSU can be very encouraged by, you know, its defense. Uh, it was kind of a, you know, return to form, for them on the defensive end. Now they just got to figure out, you know, how to get that other principle that they built under Marshall rebounding. You know, this is a, this is a program that's been, you know, known for its rebounding. And, you know, the first three games, the Shockers have been anything but that. And it's just so hard because you don't know how much, you know, the, the COVID-19 stuff has had, a, you know, an impact on that. Uh, you know, the rotations are kind of wonky right now. So, but going forward, you know, that has to improve. That's the biggest point of emphasis for WSU moving forward is just uh, getting better on the defensive glass, limiting, you know, these teams and their second chance opportunities. Tyson Etienne led all scorers with 19 points. He made the AAC honor roll for the second time on this young season. He and Altariq Gilbert seem to be the most consistent offensive weapons for the Shockers right now. I want to talk about some newcomers. I want to start with Bilal. He has two points, five rebounds in only six minutes of action, but definitely seems like he earned himself uh, a little bit more opportunity at that five position. Yeah, yeah, he, uh, he looked good. And he was on a minutes restriction. I don't know exactly how many, uh, but on Saturday, just because he's coming back from quarantine. So uh, those players can only play so much. So I think that's why you saw uh, Isaac Brown saved his minutes for the second half when that he knew that game was going to be, you know, in the balance. And I'm sure WSU fans wanted to see more of him because, you know, he was uh, very impactful in those six minutes. And uh, for him to come in, uh, WSU had hardly, I don't know if they had an offensive rebound before he came in, maybe one or two. And then, you know, three offensive rebounds in six minutes. And I'm not sure if that, that counted the back tap too. So he might've had four. Um, so uh, he, he just came in, bundle of energy, uh, you know, WSU's other centers, you know, uh, Poor Bear Chandler, uh, zero, zero rebounds, he does a two rebounds. So for him to grab five in six minutes kind of shows his impact just in the rebounding 
aspect. And, um, yeah, you, you know, you saw him, uh, get that basket on a roll to the rim, uh, you know, nice athletic finish. Uh, and then, I mean, kind of took a, you know, a three pointer that he'd probably like to have back, uh, uh, you know, a few feet behind the line, uh, a little, you know, just not wide open and bound or like in rhythm, uh, missed, missed it pretty bad and, and came out of the game right after that. So, those are things, you know, he's going to have to learn. And, uh, you know, Isaac Brown said he's still not, you know, not close to 100%. He probably uh, is about 80%, you know, coming off of this knee surgery he had in the summer. And, you know, the rehab has gone really slow. Um, you know, he was uh, he had the surgery over in France, and uh, he wasn't able to rehab back in Wichita, you know, back with his training staff and, you know, state-of-the-art, uh, you know, medical team uh, that WSU has. And that really kind of set him back. And, you know, he's still working his way back, not just from that, but also quarantine, too. So, um, you know, I think uh, the more he gets healthy, uh, Shocker fans are going to like what he what he offers. And like I said last year on the podcast, you know, uh, coaches were very, very high on him at the end of last season. What he was doing in practices against Jaime Echenique had them very, very excited. He's just a super uh, you know, athlete, you know, at the five position, it has guard-like skills, you know, you can dribble it around the perimeter and do a lot of things and uh, can be a, a rim protector like uh, like WC doesn't have just because of his height, um, because he's 6'10", the tallest one on the roster. So um, he can really do some things that no one else on this roster can. Uh, they just need to get him healthy and, uh, and get his minutes back up. So I think you'll see him play a few more minutes, uh, you know, Tuesday against Tulsa, but yeah, the ones that we did see against Oklahoma State, very, very encouraging. When I looked at the box score, I was also surprised that Craig Porter only played five minutes. He was someone that really seemed to immediately make an impact in his time out there, definitely made some moves that you know, just looked net, like he's a, a natural ball handler and, and going to be able to help at the guard position as well. I know you had a little bit on Twitter today, but what, what did you see from Craig Porter? Yeah, I mean, same deal as Joseph. I mean, this is a guy that's been in quarantine and was on a minutes restriction. Again, I don't know how many uh, you would guess, you know, about six or seven, just because that's what both of them played. And I think Craig played all of his minutes in the first half, and then Joseph had played all of his minutes in the second half. So maybe that's something that the coaching staff had worked out before the game. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this is a guy that's going to be a big-time contributor for WSU who's going to be playing, you know, 20-plus minutes. Uh, so. Uh, this was just a little taste of what he can do. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it didn't take a shot, uh, uh, finished with two rebounds, uh, two assists, made some nice passes. And like you said, I mean, it just kind of showed a real natural um, just uh, inclination to to make the right read on the offensive end. Even had a really nice wraparound pass uh, that led to the free throws by Trey Wade. And, um, yeah, he just showed, like, uh, he's going to be a good creator for WSU in the half court you know, when Altree Gilbert's on the bench or even, you know, playing playing alongside him as a compliment at the shooting guard, he's someone that can create off the bounce and is very good at, you know, keeping his eyes up, surveying the floor and, you know, looking for the kick out, looking for the dump off, um, you know, just making the right read. And uh, I think he has a little offensive punch, too, that he's going to add. You know, he's just a really smooth player from uh, what everyone has told me, um, you know, that, that watches the practices. So they're expecting him to play a big role uh, this season. Obviously, uh, he was limited this first game. And again, he's another shocker. I'm sure a lot of fans wanted to see more of, but uh, he was on a minutes restriction. I don't know if he will be again on Tuesday against Tulsa, but I would assume that he's probably going to have some kind of restriction 
just because he missed so much time due to, due to quarantine. Ricky Council is another player that's maybe uh, played a little bit more than expected here early in the season. Obviously, some of that is due to uh, being available on the roster here in these first couple games. They commented on the broadcast. He you know, ended up playing some defense against Cade Cunningham, but what have you seen from Ricky's game? Yeah, he's, he's another really smooth scorer that, uh, that impressed me. And I thought his, uh, his uh, first basket as a shocker against Missouri was uh, very impressive. You know, he put the ball on the floor and uh, kind of elevated and just had a real smooth finish in the lane. And, uh, I mean, kind of, you know, that's the kind of play that a lot of shocker fans are wanting to see from Dexter Dennis. And I thought Dexter had a, had a good drive to Oklahoma State game, too, where he kind of used that explosion athleticism and finished above the rim. So uh, Ricky Council, you know, you listen to Greg Marshall, you know, back in the spring, you know, he said this was kind of Dexter Dennis light. And, you know, maybe even a, he's, uh, he said his body was in, uh, you know, he's, he's a bigger body coming in, walking into the door at WSU. And obviously Dexter's, you know, really put in the work to, to you know, bulk him up. And uh, you saw, you know, how much that paid off with his defense on Kate Cunningham. But, uh, Ricky Council is, you know, he's a he's a physical specimen. You know, he's coming in six six two oh five. Uh, you know, as a freshman, I mean, I figured he was going to play the most minutes of any freshman, just because you know uh, Chauncey Jenkins, Jaden Seymour, they're both uh, not necessarily projects, but th- those are guys that are going to need you know a, a year or two in the system, a year or two you know in the weight room to really kind of find their potential. But Ricky Council, I mean, he's a D one body walking in, so. Uh, he, he's been, uh, yeah, like you said, I mean, he's played uh, crucial minutes. Uh, he spent some time on Cunningham, you know, and Isaac Brown, you know, he trusts him. I mean, he was out there late in the game, and I think that says a lot for, for a freshman to be earning minutes, you know, in crunch time. So he's obviously putting in the, the work and practice, and uh, he's gained the coach's trust. And, uh, yeah, he, he's one that's going to be – they think that he's going to be special by the time he leaves. So um, he obviously doesn't have to do a, t- a lot on offense for this year's team, but. Uh, he can make that impact off the bench. And he's another one that, you know, was in quarantine, missed some time, and he's still getting his legs back. So, you know, all these guys are, are still working their way back. I wouldn't say that, say they're, you know, 100% yet, uh, but they're definitely trending in the right direction. And, uh, yeah, hopefully as the, the season, you know, late December, early January, they start to hit their stride, we'll be able to see, you know, the, those full capabilities. But, yeah, you got to love the, the, the flashes that Ricky Council has shown so far just with his athleticism. I want to go back to the last second shot that Wichita State had. Uh, talk a little bit about maybe a little bit missed execution on that last play. And also, I know when they were had the timeout, my friends and I who were watching the game, we all started talking, you know, who on this team is going to take the last shot? Is it Tyson? Is it Dexter? Is it Al Tariq? Uh, you know, I, I know this was just the first of probably many opportunities, but any thoughts on what that looks like going forward as well? Yeah, I mean, the, the play call was, uh, like you said, I mean, they, they rushed it a little bit, and, you know, the play was for uh, to get it to Dexter at the top of the key, but when they got it to him uh, on the catch, they wanted uh, the players to set a back screen. So Alterique brought the ball up. He was gonna He was supposed to pass it to Dexter at the top of the key, and as soon as he passed it, uh, Trey Wade was going to set a player screen for Tyson Etienne to come up on the other wing. And then uh, I think Ricky, Ricky Council was in the game, and he was supposed to set a player screen for Altariq going the, the opposite way. And, you know, Dexter was just going to make the read and, and see which one was open. And, you know, if you if you look at the um, – if you rewatch the video, you know, Oklahoma State switched the screen. So, you know, 
Etienne was not available. Uh, Ricky Council didn't really set much of a screen on uh, Alterique, but he was a little open, but that's just a tough read to make, you know, over the top. You don't want that pass to get picked off. So it just left Dexter kind of holding the ball at the top of the key, and he just had to kind of throw up a prayer. And uh, that's, you know, obviously not the shot that WSU would have loved to have. You know, it's still, you know, Dexter still got, you know, a somewhat of a clean look. It wasn't like a, you know, a no chance prayer. He was able to elevate, but, you know, shooting over uh, outstretched hands, you know, that's just not, you know, the perfect shot you would want in that scenario. And, yeah, I mean, I think as the season goes along, you know, obviously Tyson Etienne, just the way that he's shooting the ball this season, you're going to want the ball in his hands. Um, but it's going to be tough, you know, because, you know, it's so tough to get the get a guy the ball, you know, away from off the ball, uh, funnel the ball to him with, you know, defense is just switching everything. Uh, in those situations, so it's going to be really hard for someone, you know, just to run a play for someone coming off a screen. You know, it's, more times than not, it's going to be, you know, at the top of the key, someone isolating. And who does that better than anyone? You know, Altariq Gilbert. So I, I would suspect to see Altariq take a lot of the, the big shots this season just because he can, you know, create his shot off the dribble so well. And, you know, more times than not, he's going to, you know, be able to, to take his man off the dribble and, you know, pull up for a jumper or a floater or kick out to someone. Maybe that's how they get Tyson Etienne, you know, a wide open shot. Um, so I, I think the ball is going to be in Alterique hands going forward. And uh, I, would, I would be surprised if he doesn't take a lot of the big shots for WSU this season. You brought up Tyson and he had the quote after the game that college basketball is, you know, still going to know about us, still going to know about this group here. So, you know, we're three games in, one and two is not ideal. They've had flashes from a lot of different areas and a lot of also, you know, some some outside circumstances that, you know, you don't want to use as an excuse, but certainly have had an impact. So what do you get a feel for kind of where they are as a locker room and, and as they will start conference play tomorrow night against Tulsa, kind of where they're at here, getting ready for a, a long 20-game or, yeah, 20-game AAC season? Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 tough because you know they're one and two, like you said. So you know, when's the last time WSU has been that you know started one and two? I mean, that's just not a typical start. But you know, you have to put things in context. And you know, uh, obviously with the, the tumultuous off season, you know, so many transfers, and then you know the investigation into Marshall, and then you know the resignation less than two weeks before the first game, and uh, not to mention you know all the stops and starts and stops and starts of you know, the, the practices, you know, they've been paused multiple times because of COVID stuff and then have the first three games taken off your schedule and, uh, you know, having that, that missing chunk of players for two weeks, you know, that's just, uh, like you said, just less than ideal. And they've had to overcome so much adversity uh, to start out the season and still, you know, you're, you're uh, tied with Oklahoma State in the last, you know, last minute of the game. So I think that's uh, it's encouraging for WSU, but, you know, obviously they don't want to, you know, just stick with Missouri and Oklahoma State. You know, they want to beat teams like that. But, you know, they're also, also you know, uh, both those teams are undefeated. Missouri, you know, climbed as number 16 in the national rankings, just beat, you know, a top five team in Illinois. So that was a really good basketball team. And, you know, Oklahoma State's going to, you know, be pretty solid in the Big 12, I think, this year. So, uh, I don't think there's any shame in losing uh, both of those games regardless. And then uh, just considering the circumstances, I think WSU has to be pretty encouraged coming away from those two games. And 
you know, going into conference play, they have a, they have a kind of a, a crucial stretch coming up, you know, uh, at Tulsa, this is a team that's been in quarantine the last, you know, week, and uh, they're only going to get one practice in before Tuesday's game. So you you have to think that that's an opportunity for WSU to maybe steal one on the road against a, a team that won, uh, you know, a split of the conference championship last year. And then you go at South Florida and then uh, East Carolina at home to finish up the 2020 slate. So those are three, you know, winnable games for, for WSU to start out with. You know, they need at least one of those. Uh, two, I think, would, would give uh, WSU a lot of good feelings, a lot of good momentum heading into 2021. So if they can win two of these first three, I think that's going to be uh, key for WSU if they're going to make noise in the American this year. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll be joined by Shane Dennis, who co-hosts Sports Daily on KFH and is a Shockers broadcaster. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. We're joined now by someone who called two of the first three games for the Shockers, co-host of Sports Daily on KFH. It is Shane Dennis. Thanks for joining the show, Shane. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, guys. We appreciate you taking the time. As I mentioned, you're on the call for two of the first three games, including the 67-64 loss to Oklahoma State this past Saturday. Certainly, I think the team has to be encouraged, by the way. They fought back in the second half. You had a lot of you know, guys stepping up, finally a full roster. So what, what have you, been your thoughts, particularly on that Oklahoma State game, but, but also these first three games we've seen from the Shockers? Well, first of all, I, I can't imagine um, the emotions and the things that gone through uh, Isaac Brown's head you know over the last maybe even month going back that far um how many healthy bodies he's had available to him after he got thrust into the position of interim head coach uh i think maybe that's something and i'm not sure if you guys have touched on that or not but i think that's kind of under the surface people need to realize that you know in addition to just having you know small numbers because of one reason or another this is his debut um his team now and um you know i'm just looking forward to seeing what what kind of team that he'll put on the floor once not only gets his full complement of players back which i think he has now but once they get into game shape you know that's the other thing i think before the oklahoma state game shocker fans are probably like all right sweet we got a uh, we got our whole roster back well who knows how much basketball stuff they'd actually gotten to to work on or five on five or you know Getting up and down the floor is not the same as doing it with guys hanging on you. So um, I was pleasantly surprised to answer your question uh, about the Oklahoma State outcome. Uh, the game, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say they should have won, but they certainly could have, uh, if not for Superman hitting the three-pointer when Oklahoma State really needed it. Then, if not, Wichita State gets to go down and get the best available shot that, that they get um, and have a chance to win the game. So I think that's Certainly all Shocker fans and, and Isaac Brown in particular, all he could have asked for against Oklahoma State anyway. Yeah, and obviously the, the Shockers were undermanned those first two games and, you know, people uh, see how it affects, uh, you know, the team in games. But kind of put it in perspective, I mean, obviously you, you played sports at a high level. When you're not able to practice and, you know, they weren't able to practice five on five for, you know, two weeks. Uh, I mean, that affects the players who do get a play, too. Just uh, I, I think fans kind of forget that, just how much that's affected 
you know, the team these first three games too. Can you kind of put that in perspective, just how much, you know, obviously that's affected the team without the players, but even the players who are playing, how much of a impact does that have when you, you can't even, you know, practice, you know, a regular practice? I think that's a big deal. You know, we, uh, when you, when you watch teams in the past as a fan, depending on who it is, uh, if you in one particular year have a short bench and you're a coach and only likes to play seven or seven and a half or eight guys, well, they at least still get to practice five on five. You know, I mean, you, you at least have them down there sitting on the end of your bench. And when you have Forbear Chandler, Trevin Wade, and Clarence Jackson, and that's it for your opener, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't think it can be undersold that um, even though, you know, practice isn't the most fun part of, you know, being an athlete, the games are the fun part, but practices are, are necessary. And you got to be able to, you know, go five on five and, and have the, the kind of, you know, instruction and coaching and say, look, and to say nothing of going over a scouting report, trying to defend another team that's got twice as many guys as you do. So I'm totally with you, Taylor, with the, the numbers that they've had up until now and limited really full five-on-five contact that they must have had. Um, hopefully that'll lead to uh, good things down the road. Um, but yeah, I don't think that can be undersold at all. You you got to practice and you got to go game speed and you, you absolutely have to do it to uh, be any good at all as a team. And I think hopefully we'll see it going forward. It's been limited game film, but we've seen some uh, signs of encouragement from some of the Shocker newcomers. Who, in your opinion, has uh, impressed you the most thus far? Uh, thus far, I think it would have to be Monty Jackson, um, energy guy, who, uh, and if you follow him on social media, he makes it pretty clear he likes being that guy, um, doing the dirty work stuff, which um, we've come accustomed to over the years. There at least be one of those guys, or in some cases, multiple somebodies that will do what Clarence Jackson did. Um, he's hard to describe. And I know it's a, a small sample size, so and I haven't, you know, obviously seen him uh, much except for in the games, but he was, he was, you know, tabbed as that kind of guy, that energy guy, that uh, little things guy. And to have a first-year guy in the program embrace playing that way, I think Wichita State's going to be in really good shape because he's not just a – you know, high floor, low ceiling, not very talented, you know, just a hardworking guy. He's got that too. So uh, I think Monty Jackson is the one that that kind of jumps off the page for me. Yeah, and how much fun has it been to watch uh, Altree Gilbert? How how would you – I don't think WSU has had a player like him who just plays the way he does and is so – you know, crafty with the ball. How how would you kind of describe his game? And uh, has he surprised you at all? Just uh, just how uh, how crafty he has been, you know, so far. He reminds me of uh, Allen Iverson, uh, little guy, fearless, has a shot off when he wants. Um, I thought maybe that um, his height kind of held him back from taking that last shot against Oklahoma State. I half expected him to shoot it because I know he doesn't have any fear. Um, but probably, you know, deferred to Dex because he's not going to get his shot blocked and he can elevate it maybe a little higher than his shot. But I'm just speculating there. But um, the fact that he is a guard that can get a shot just about whenever he wants, I'm trying to think of the last guy that Wichita State had that could really do that. I mean, either create separation with a step back 
or get all the way to the rim. Um, maybe there's been a guy, but not quite like Altry Gilbert. I, I, I like him. I, he's a, he's a go get, uh, go get a basket when you need it. And, uh, sometimes when it comes right down to it in the American, you need that guy. And I, I think he's it. Three games for the Shockers so far, all home games. You're one of few individuals who can tell us what the experience has been like inside of Coke Arena without fans for those first couple games. The 5% capacity on Saturday. They're going to have 10%, it looks like, against Emporia State on Friday. But kind of what has the atmosphere been like, particularly with having fans back against Oklahoma State? And do you think that's had an impact in, in any of the outcomes of the games? You know, you kind of have to stop and consider either after the game or as it's happening, like what would this atmosphere be like at this particular time if this place was sold out like it normally is? I mean, you'd have you'd have more timeouts being called by the opposition. You'd have, you, you know, just you get used to the fans not being there, kind of, um, but then you, you stop and think how, how legit would this atmosphere with Mizzou or Oklahoma State, you know, for example, be if it was full. Uh, but since it's not, um, this probably won't help you much either uh, because it's a closed-door kind of situation. But these, the first couple reminded me of a closed-door scrimmage for those that are lucky enough to go to one of those. Like in the past, we, we had a couple with Oral Roberts, I think, and maybe K-State or something like that where just the players are in there, just the coaches, and not many other people. And I suppose maybe one other way to describe it would be an AAU game, but even then AAU games have fans, you know, and parents and stuff. So it's weird, but it's also work. And uh, I'm thankful for that <laughs> real life games and these count. So uh, we'll take what we can get, but uh, 10% on Friday, that'll be cool. I think it'll be even more noticeable than the 500 or so showed up at Oklahoma state uh, for the Oklahoma state game. Yeah, and uh, what, what in your mind, you know, when you watch the Shockers play these first three games, and again, you know, limited sample size, but what's the biggest difference from, you know, the Isaac Brown-led Wichita State team compared to, you know, the last 13 years with uh, Greg Marshall? Um, what What's the biggest difference that kind of comes to mind when you watch this year's team so far? You know, Taylor, I wish I could say it's substitution patterns or something like that, but who knows if that, that's uh... – healthy body related you know they they absolutely only had eight guys against Oral Roberts we know that uh they had one other guy uh I think it was Ricky Council in the Mizzou game and now they're all back so I I think it's probably too early uh unless you just want to speculate on the difference between Greg Marshall and Isaac Brown's styles because I think he's been Isaac's been so hamstrung um with his roster to this point that we just don't know yet Along with that, though, I think we have yet to see Wichita State's real identity. I mean, will this be a up-and-down team that shoots a lot of threes? Well, so far, they haven't shot threes very well. Um, will they go off the dribble more and have the assist numbers go down because we got guys that can flash to the basket to finish? Well, I don't know. They haven't been finishing all that well. Um, so I hate to dodge the question, but um, I'd like to know the answer to that too, sooner rather than later. And, I, and hopefully, you know, if everybody stays healthy, we will find out what kind of coach Isaac Brown's going to be compared to Greg Marshall. Wichita State starts AAC play tomorrow night at Tulsa. In your opinion, what areas do they need to improve on the most if they're going to have success in conference play? 
Well, uh, I'd like to see a little more out of the five production-wise between uh, Udeze and whoever else it's going to be. Uh, now, Mo getting 10 points against Oklahoma State, I'll take. Mo getting 10 points against ORU, I'll take. But he's got to have more re- rebounds than eight total probably in those two. Um, he he finished better against OSU, um, but he really struggled to finish around the basket in the first two games. Um, that's the kind of length and that's the kind of stuff he's going to have to deal with uh, now that we're in the American play. And I don't want to pin it all on Morris Udeze, but if you're going to get anything out of the five spot, um, you, you might want to do that if you're going to finish in the top half of the of the league. Not too worried about the, you know, the guards and wings. I like what I see there. And, um, you know, I don't know about you guys, but it just strikes me that every time Tyson, uh, Tyson Etienne shoots, it feels like it's going to go in. I mean, he's got a pretty shot. He can get it off with a hair trigger. Um, of course, you know, his, his percentage could improve a little bit too in shot selection from three, but it's almost like, man, I don't mind seeing him shoot even a con- contested shot because <laughs> it looks like it's going to go in. He, he's got to be a guy that has uh, just a uber amount of confidence just the way he plays. You can tell he plays with a, with a bounce in his step. But um, so this, uh more production from the five, I guess, if you had to pin me down on one particular thing. Yeah, last question. When you watch Dexter Dennis, you know, obviously he's playing some high, high-level defense right now, but, you know, the offense has, has kind of lagged behind a little, and, you know, we've seen this before in December. Uh, he's gotten off to, you know, a few slow starts in his career and, and turned it around, you know, in conference play. Uh, so I'm sure WSU's hoping – to see that, but when you watch him play, what, what do you feel like just, uh, you know, he needs to unlock or what, what's like that part of the game that's kind of missing for him uh, right now? Like how, how do, how does WSU get him, you know, more involved in the office offense and get him to be that, you know, double digit scorer that a lot of people were expecting him to be this year? Well, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not going to pretend to know how really quality a ball handler he is, but, for those guys that are the biggest headaches are the ones that can shoot the three, they can finish around the rim, or they can take it from three and be able to get to the rim. You know what I mean? Put the ball on the deck two or three times and have good enough handles that once the guy that's guarding you is honoring your three-point shots, you can go around them and get an easier shot for yourself. Uh, I would think maybe that would be a nice little addition. But the other thing to remember about Dexter, and you pointed – pointed it out he's such a good on-ball defender that sometimes I'm not saying there's there's not room for offensive production but it's so hard to be really good at both and Dexter I think is pretty unquestionably their best on-ball defender we saw that against Cade Cunningham but he does that against all the opposition's best wing players I mean that's his job and so with that I would be satisfied honestly with him letting the the game continue to come to him offensively and not hunt his shot because it would be easy for him to do I thought he did that a little bit mid-game against Missouri uh although he hit a couple you know he hit a couple threes but I think that there's enough with Gilbert and Etienne now not to say that Dennis could be a, a role player or a complimentary player but I think those two guys are good enough in their games that maybe they can set him up a little better uh, than last year, the year before, as far as getting him good looks. 
uh, when you're talking about the offensive end because the defense is second to none. But, you know, I think one thing to, you know, factor in there too is because he concentrates and puts so much effort into defense, it's hard to be a really good scorer at the very same time. So, you know, if you have to give a little with me uh, with Dexter Dennis offensively, I think I'm okay with that because he can still, you know, quietly give you 11 to 13 points. And I think that'd be plenty if he continues to guard the way he has. Our listeners can follow Shane on Twitter at ShaneDennis34. You can listen to him weekdays 9 to 11 on Sports Daily on KFH and also the great calls on Shocker Games currently on ESPN+. We appreciate you taking the time, Shane. Hey, thanks, guys. Enjoyed it. Appreciate you. We'll move now into our preview of Tuesday's matchup at Tulsa. Both teams will come into the game 1-2 and two on the young season. Game starts at 6 p.m. and will be on ESPNU. The Golden Hurricane are Ken Palm ranked 93, Wichita State is Ken Palm ranked 100. And Taylor, as you mentioned, this is the first game in 11 days for Tulsa. So what do you think we'll see here in this matchup with the Golden Hurricane? Pretty evenly matched. Tulsa was picked 6th, Wichita State was picked 7th in the conference preseason poll. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see who all is available for Tulsa. I mean, obviously they had that positive test on December the 6th, and they paused all basketball activities. They, they postponed two of the games last week, and uh, they only returned to practice on Monday. So they only have one one day of practice heading into this game. You have to figure that at least, you know, one player is going to miss this game. Uh, you have to think probably, you know, a, a couple others too, just with close contact. So I'm going to be very interested to see uh, who all is available for Tulsa, how much that affects. Um, you know, their game plan. And I know WSU is wondering the same thing because, you know, obviously with the COVID stuff, you know, that's, um, you know, they don't have to put out who has it, you know, because of the confidentiality stuff. And um, so I think uh, that's going to be, uh, you know, welcome to 2020. I mean, that's going to be a part of every game, you know, how much this affects uh, other teams and, and WSU and uh, who, who's going to be available. So, um, you know, regardless, you know, with only one day of practice, you know, Tulsa is going to be, you know, that's less than ideal for them coming into this game. So this is a chance for WSU to, to get off to a good start. You know, playing at Tulsa is always a tough game for the Shockers. And, you know, they've had some battles over there, over, uh, over down there in uh, the last three years. So um, this is going to be a, a tough road game. But, you know, for, for WSU, for once, you know, they're the, they're the team that's coming in with a little more you know, preparation, uh, believe it or not. And, you know, they're going to, they're going to have their full roster going down there on Tuesday. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be, it's just going to be one of those things where we're going to find out probably an hour before the game, who's available for Tulsa and who's not. Tulsa's one and two on the young season. They lost to TCU 70 to 65. They lost to South Carolina 69 to 58, and they beat UT Arlington 79, 64. They were supposed to play Oral Roberts, but that was one of the games that got postponed and as I mentioned you know their pick six Wichita State's pick seventh if you know if the team wants to have that upside or if they want to make waves in the AAC this is simply you know a game you got to go out and win yeah I mean that's uh, exactly right you know if you want to outperform that seventh place projection then yeah this is a game that you know you're gonna have to steal some on the road you know I think that's how every team looks at it you know you look at your home schedule you have to feel like, uh, you know, especially with WSU at Coke Arena, you know, you have to feel like you're going to win, you know, eight, you know, seven or eight of those at least um, at home. And then, you know, you kind of go down. Uh, I mean, in years past with the fans, I don't know how much it affects it this year without the fans. So, But you have to feel like you're going to have a winning record 
at Coke Arena, playing at home. So then you go down the road list, you know, 10 road games. You play everyone on the road this year. How many of those can you steal? That's how WSU moves up in, in the conference standings. If you can steal, you know, three, four, five uh, games on the road, that's how WSU is going to, you know, make waves in the conference. And like I said, you know, one day of practice, uh, they're probably going to be undermanned. You have to think. I don't know that for sure. But, um, you know, this is setting up to be a very good opportunity for Wichita State. Uh, can they capitalize? That's going to be the question tomorrow night. And uh, like you said, I mean, this is going to be a big one for WSU if it wants to move up and finish higher than seven. Tulsa shoots 47% from the field, 27% from three. They're led in scoring uh, 17.3 points per game, 6'6", senior guard. I believe it's Brandon Rachel. Is that correct? Am I saying that? Rochelle. So I'm not saying that right. Yeah. Uh, you know, one thing we didn't do on the show last week is make a prediction, and that's probably why they lost. So, Taylor, give me a score prediction. Man, yeah, I think uh, I think WSU's defense, uh, the, the way that they played last game, that has me uh, encouraged with how they're going to be able to, to match up with Tulsa. Uh, you know, obviously they play that matchup zone under Frank Hayes, so that's going to be really tough for the Shockers. They're going to have to make you know, threes that they have not been making this season. So that's, that gives me pause. But I think this is going to be a, you know, a grinded out defensive game where, you know, it's going to be a slugfest. And I think WSU is, uh, you know, equipped to win a game like that. And, and now that they have their full complement of players, uh, you know, we just don't know what, what Tulsa has available. So I think WSU, this is a game that they're going to be able to, to pull out. I would say, you know, 64 to 60 something like that. I think it's going to be a pretty low-scoring game. Here's a little fun story for you. For the Wichita State at Tulsa game last season, it was the day before the Super Bowl. I was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, getting ready to watch the Chiefs having win there in Miami, and uh, that last-second shot, that was heartbreaking <laughs> when they lost that game. So I, I think you know the players that were there We'll remember that, hopefully go into it with, you know, th- this is technically the Havoc in the Heartland series and supposed to be your rival. And so I, I think they go in and take care of business. And also, you know, we usually see things come back closer to the mean when you shoot 7% in the second half against Oklahoma State, 1 of 14 from 3. I have to think their fortunes change a little bit. Etienne continues to play well. Gilbert continues to play well, and they get enough from the rest of the guys that I think they win. I'd agree somewhere 66-60 seems uh, about right to me. One thing we haven't talked about yet, there was a game that was added for this Friday, Emporia State coming to town, 6 p.m. tip. It'll be on ESPN+. And, uh, you know, as with everything with COVID, the, the schedule will probably change a couple more times here before the season's out, but uh, got another home game for the Shockers. Yeah, and WSU, they're still looking to add uh, potentially another one. My guess would probably, you know, if it does happen, it would be in between that South Florida and East Carolina game. Uh, WSU has an eight-day break. Uh, maybe a game right after Christmas uh, would be my guess. Uh I Maybe say we get like Fort Hayes in here. Like you know, Fort Hayes, they're they're barn beaters <laughs> taking down the Wildcats. So I mean, let's let's see what they got against the Shockers now. Yeah, well, you know, in Portia State, they beat Fort Hayes State. So that's going to be you know, take it for for what you will. Oh um, boy! But yeah, I mean, that's that's a game where you know, yeah, that's exactly the you know exactly why you have to take those games seriously. And you know, K State, uh, you know, paid the price, and you know they suffered a double digit loss. The, you know, MIAA team that had not won a game yet. So, uh, you know, Emporia State, you know, at the D2 level, they're, they're pretty legit. You know, they're off to a 3-0 start. They're receiving votes in the 
in the top 25 for D2. So, um, yeah, they like their team this year. And, you know, obviously WSU, you know, if they just, you know, show up and, you know, play a relatively clean game, you know, they're going to win. But uh, that's that's the challenge. You know, WSU can't just show up and just expect to win just because, you know, hey, we're Division One and, you know, we're wearing Wichita State uniforms. So they're going to have to uh, have to bring a good effort. But uh, that's a game where I expect to see a lot more of, you know, just that Bilal, Craig Porter, probably see the debuts for uh, Jaden Seymour and Chauncey Jenkins. Uh, so I think that's a game that fans can look forward to and, and see some of those newcomers that we haven't got to see uh, a lot of. Because I expect Tuesday's game against Tulsa is going to be pretty tight. Rotations are going to be pretty tight. So I don't know if we're going to see Jen- Jenkins and uh, Seymour just because they're you know they're still coming back, still getting practices under underneath their legs. So um, I think we can uh, expect to see that game. Isaac Brown's going to open up the rotation and, and really let these new guys show what they can do. Last point on that Fort Hayes State K State game. If you went on the ESPN app after the game, they didn't have the mascot loaded in for Fort Hayes State, so it was like a wildcat versus just a blank screen. So they, that's never a good sign when the team you're playing doesn't have the mascot loaded in on ESPN. But uh, buy or sell time, producer Brian. All right. So one of the things we've seen as a struggle, obviously, is the offensive efficiency. Just getting the shooting percentages to come up. Buy or sell, we'll start with you, Taylor. Buy or sell is the primary cause of that, just timing. These guys have not had the practice opportunities, the ability to go five on five, and that you would expect, you know, as we get, you know, a a couple weeks from now, even that that shooting percentage and that offensive efficiency is going to climb significantly. I'll, I'll sell that for the shooting. I think that's the primary cause for the low assist numbers, but. Um, I think the shooting, I mean, that's, it's just, you know, one of those things, you know, shooting is streaky and, um, you know, maybe this is just a three game sample where W shoot is not going to shoot the ball well. And, you know, things are going to even out over the course of the season. And I know WSU likes their shooters. So I think, uh, I don't think they're going to, you know, set the world on fire and, you know, be like a 39 or 40% three point shooting team, but they are certainly better than what they've shown. So far, you know, Trey Wade's uh, missing a lot of open looks. Dexter Dennis is missing a lot of open looks. So I think those things are just going to even out over time. I don't think it has much to do with, you know, the just the inexperience playing with each other. That's just one of those, you know, one of those things where shots just aren't going down. But I, I do think that the, the time together is going to, uh, the more, more times they practice and play together, the assist numbers are going to go up. I'll agree with Taylor. I'm going to sell. And all I'm going to say is, you know, if you're going to post on Instagram that you're in the gym at, you know, 10 o'clock at night or, you know, always working on your game, you got to make the shots when the lights turn on. And so I, I think it's just been something that, uh, you know, for whatever reason, it's been cold here early in the season. But they all have talent. They've all, you know, shown the ability to do this in the past. And, and you know, it'll even out and get going here soon. All right, so we've talked some about the fans, but I'm, I'm curious what you think. Will we see, and we've got 500 fans in this game, we're going to up it a little bit in the next game. Do you think by the time we get to January 1 that we're at least at a 25% capacity buy or sell? I'm going to sell that. I think, you know, it seems about 15% is the highest anyone wants to go. Even the Chiefs with Arrowhead Stadium, they do like 16 to 17%. I You don't see many people going 25. You know, I guess they could rope off the seats and, and maybe keep everyone separated. But it, I'm surprised they went from 5 to 10 as quickly as they did. 
um, because I, I believe, you know, the cases aren't necessarily improving in the Wichita area right now, but uh, uh, I, I think it levels off about 15%. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with Justin, too, and also that I think, um, yeah, I, I would expect, you know, 10 15% is probably what WSU is going to go with. And, uh, you know, I thought they did a good job of enforcing, you know, the social distance rules. And, you know, they had, uh, you know, ushers all around the arena, making sure people had their mask on, making sure, you know, people are sitting, you know, uh, far enough apart. And, you know, obviously nobody wants to sit, you know, way up top, you know, at Coke Arenas. They want somewhat decent seats. But, so you know, the more people you let in, uh, you know, the more people are going to have to sit further up. So I think they have a kind of a good happy medium right now where they're, they're letting, you know, uh, you know, a chunk of fans in and uh, still being able to, to, you know, make sure everyone gets a good seat and is able to stay far enough apart to, you know, adhere to the social distancing thing. So I think you can do that with 10 to 15. Uh, once you get up to the 25%, you know, that's when things get a little – you know, a little more tough. So I, I would think that in January they're, they're going to keep it, you know, just keep it as, as, you know, slow, slow building as possible. Hopefully in February we're able to get up to that number, but I don't, I don't think it's going to happen in January. I'm curious, Taylor, uh, just your experience seeing some of the fans there. What What is the feel like when you've got such a big arena and you've got just a – small number of fans. We, we heard Shane talk about it being, uh, you know, beforehand when there's no fans, it's like a, a closed door scrimmage, but with, you know, small little pockets of fans all spread out, is it basically like a, a JV high school game or, or what is the feel like there? <laughs> As someone yeah, who goes to a lot of high school definitely. games, you should be able to speak to that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely pretty strange because, I mean, I don't know what you guys thought listening to on the broadcast, but uh, you know, some of those times where WSU would make a run and, you know, the, the, the fans, you know, the fans that that were there were cheering, but, you know, it just wasn't, you know, you're so used to, you know, Coke Arena just being, you know, ear splitting and uh, just being so loud in there when they make a run. So it was just kind of uh, kind of strange to, to listen to, you know, just a, a you know, 5% fill uh, arena and just not making, you know, that much noise. So um, it was, it was very strange. And, uh, yeah, I mean, at least in high school, you know, you, you only have, you know, maybe 500 people, but, you know, it's in a high school gym. So, you know, everything's louder and, you know, it's a close, uh, you know, there's not a huge, uh, huge roof like Coke Arena. So um, it was just kind of a strange thing. It kind of reminded me of a state, maybe a state basketball game at the high school level, you know, when you get those uh, class 6A at uh, Coke Arena and, you know, everyone's spread out. Uh, so maybe something like that, but I was curious, what, what did you guys think of the crowd noise, you know, watching on the broadcast? Uh, you know, I thought it was nice to hear people cheering and there was points that it got pretty loud in there. I think with a thousand, you'll, you'll be able to notice a little bit more, um, just, and, and hopefully the people that are going are the diehards. You know, I'm thinking to myself, this is the elite of Wichita who are sitting here <laughs> getting these 500 seats. I mean, you got to pay a lot to have those priority points, I know, but, uh, uh, you know, I always said, you know, the Aftershocks games, the people that would come to that were those diehard Shocker fans who really wanted to get up and, and scream and yell. And, and so hopefully it's the same way with those fans that are having the opportunity to go here in these first couple weeks. All right. So now to transition a little bit, Taylor, we've talked about how this shortened season, this condensed season, teams having to postpone games, cancel games, everything shifting. I mean, Wichita State is starting conference play after only having three non-conference games. So when you look at 
the American Athletic Conference getting started, does the beginning of this year, I mean, we know these teams are very familiar with each other. They've game-planned against each other from year to year. But does, the, you know, buy or sell, is there a lot, there's more mystery here this year, and there's going to be opportunities to surprise somebody with your game plan. I mean, I'll, yeah, I'll buy that just because, yeah, I mean, it seems like every single game, you know, each team is not going to know who the, the other team is going to have available. Uh, it seems like the COVID stuff, you know, that's just not going away. And hopefully with the vaccine, I, I don't know how that's going to, uh, you know, apply to college basketball, if those players are going to be able to to take that, you know, during the season or if they're going to be able to take it at all. I don't know if, uh, how that stuff works. So I don't know if that's going to make an impact on it or not. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think there's just so much mystery and so much up up in the air, you know, going into every single matchup. So um, pretty much, you know, Houston's looking like the clear favorite. You know, they're a top five team in the country. Uh, like I, I, I said in the offseason, I thought they were, you know, being ranked way too low. Um, you know, I was very high on this team from the start. I think SMU has uh, really shown a lot of promise uh, in, the, in the non-conference. Uh, they look legit. You know, Memphis, Cincinnati, uh, those teams are always going to be near the top. Um, so, I, yeah, I mean, I think that opportunity for WSU to kind of slide up into that next group, you know, maybe that fifth um, fifth is probably the, the, the spot I would say that maybe not the ceiling, but that would be a good finish for WSU in the AAC this year because, you know, there, there are some quality teams in the middle, you know, Tulsa, South Florida, you know, UCF, they like what they're doing. East Carolina's 5-0 and has, you know, one of the best players in the conference in Jaden Gardner. So, um, you know, a fifth-place finish would be great. And uh, I think is going to be looking to move up in the middle and I just think every single one of these these swing games against these middle teams just going to be up in the air every single time. I think it's important to point out this would normally be our AAC conference preview show. Right before the first conference game, we'd always run through all the teams, but you know we'll kind of do as much as as we can over the next couple weeks. I'm going to sell Brian's question that it's going to make a lot of a difference because a lot of the same coaches are, are there, and so I think they're you know going to have a lot of the same game plans. Although I would say if there were ever a team that could surprise, it'd be Wichita State because they've only played three games. There's not a ton of film out there. They do have a different coach. They had a lot of roster turnover. So, you know, I, I think people think if you you surveyed the rest of the league, they think Wichita State is down right now, and they need to use that to their advantage. I've always said the Shockers do better as the hunter versus the hunted. And when they were picked at the top of the conference or when they were always ranked in the top 25, maybe they didn't always respond the best to getting the other team's best shot or just like the Chiefs do, kind of playing down to their competition a little bit. But as the hunter, you can go out and surprise a lot of people. So I think from the Shockers' perspective, that absolutely happens. The league-wide, I'm not sure as much. And finally, same thing, similar similar vein on this. We're seeing Tulsa really struggle with this as far as you know, just having to shut down activities, postpone games. We think that'll probably continue to some degree. Does Buy or sell, does this season really become your conference finishes a lot of a war of attrition? Your your ability to place or move up in the rankings is going to be a lot about who you've got available at what time when you're playing the games. Well, I definitely think who you have available is going to play a big role. But I also think as we get into conference play, if a lot of these games keep having to be canceled, at some point they have to look at pushing back the season. Uh, we've seen college football. You look at the Big Ten. They've had to make uh, exceptions on their rules as far as, you know, can Ohio State make the Big Ten title game only playing five games and different things like that. There's more basketball games 
uh, on the schedule than there is football games. But I just think it's at some point, you know, you got to at least have it as fair as possible across the board. And you might have one team that's playing, uh, you know, a 20 game conference schedule and another that's maybe playing 14, 15. How do you really equal those out? So, you know, we'll see how that goes. Um, but but certainly, uh, you know, who you have and, and what when you're playing teams as well is, is going to be an important thing to watch throughout this conference season. I don't know if I bought or sold. Yeah, but. I mean, I'm going to be curious. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be curious, too, to see how the uh, the American does this with, uh, you know, the imbalance, you know, because you have to figure that, you know, not everyone's going to play a 20-game conference uh, schedule. And, you know, it would be a miracle if that does happen. Um, so here's hoping. But, um, yeah, it would be, it'd be interesting to see how, do, or how the AAC uh, does this. Maybe they just go to winning percentage and just calls it good. And, but, you know, it's going to be tough because, you know, some teams are going to, you know, play more games on the road and, and against better competition and uh, just things like that. So I don't think it's going to be, you know, a, a, you know, a completely fair uh, schedule like it is designed to be, you know, with the round robin, you know, everybody playing each other twice, home and away, you know, that's as fair as it gets. But, you know, I just don't think that that's going to be the case. I, I do think that it's going to be, you know, a constant thing. You know, you look at a team like Temple, you know, they still haven't played a basketball game yet. They're they're still waiting to play while, you know, teams like Memphis, I think Memphis has played seven games. Uh, you know, most of the, the most of the teams in the conference have only played, you know, two or three, but uh, you know, Temple hasn't even played at all. So I think that's definitely gonna be uh make it for a huge impact and, and like uh, Dustin said, you know, who you have available for what games, you know, that's gonna be a, a big role uh as well. So I'm gonna agree with him. It also maybe makes the conference tournament even more important. So, I mean, by that time, you'd have to think they do everything they can to get all of the conference teams or or to have a a fair tournament, and whether that's delaying it for a while or having a bubble period or whatever it would be. But that automatic bid is is everything. I mean, you could you know, really, you know, kind of stumble through the regular season. But if you get hot at the right time of year and, and just go, you know, steal a bit, that, that's maybe the best way to do it if you're one of these middle-of-the-pack AAC teams like a Wichita State, like a Tulsa, like many others we've talked about. Well, we'll be back with you next week. We will have the USF game to take a look at, and uh, we'll continue to preview the young AAC season here and uh, we'll have two games to talk about as the Shockers will have games at Tulsa and home versus Emporia State. Taylor, any exciting things coming at Kansas.com this week? Yeah, just uh, just more game coverage and uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'm sure I'll be taking a look at how WSU fares against that matchup zone of Tulsa um, and looking at you know how, how they're able to, to break that down. So uh, that's going to be the, the key for the Shockers on Tuesday. And then, uh, then like we've talked about, you know, on Friday, I expect a lot of the newcomers to get time. So kind of breaking down what they're able to do um, and the flashes that, that, that they show. So, uh, yeah, that could be the signs of the future for WSU, getting a lot of those freshmen in and uh, seeing what they can do. So, yeah, just have a lot of video breakdown stuff. And, uh, yeah, just a lot of game coverage uh, coming up this week. Our thanks again to Shane Dennis for joining the show today, and we'll be back with you next week with another Talk Angry. Taylor, what should our listeners do? You have to raise us five stars. This show is part of the ICT Podcast Network. For more information, visit ictpod.net.